0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners, where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason.
1: And my name may or may not be Todd Hicksonball, a.k.a. the Todd Father.
0: You're still going with that, huh? Uh, listen,
1: I am going to go with that probably forever now. I'm just
0: saying. Okay. And we have a great episode for you today. Today, we we're talking with Robert Vore, And today, we we're talking with uh, Robert about... Mental health, and you may be thinking, Mental health, that seems like an odd conversation to have, but just as we always love to have on the convert on the podcast, it's a conversation that most people aren't having, and that's the type of conversations that we want to have on the podcast. And so, we're going to be talking with Robert about some of some things that you may know about mental health, some things that you don't know about mental health, but we're pretty excited to bring it to you today.
1: Um, and a couple of weeks ago, um we had the obviously the shooting and things that happened at the school, so it was actually really interesting because yeah, in Florida at Park, it, like in it, Parkland, it Parkland Florida. in Florida, and all of that happened, and and it was actually a couple of days. We recorded the episode a couple days after that all happened, and so it was interesting to be able to have that conversation in light of everything that was going on because of um, I think some of the the accusations and things instantly kind of become be, be, begin to be um, thrown around about when when things like that happened and so this is a phenomenal conversation also um you know for caleb and i we live in ohio and uh it made national news uh a while back but there were a string of of suicides that actually happened in some of the local high schools yeah
0: in stark and summit county around canton
1: and akron yep around canton and akron and so it was actually it, this conversation is going to be phenomenal if you're a parent as well, because he, he's able to really speak to a lot of fears, I think that parents have whenever it comes to talking about mental health with their mental health with their their child, as well as suicide. I think there's a big fear there, and so this is going to be a great um, this is going to be a great resource for you to be able to check out to listen to him talk about that. I think he does a great job. At some of this.
0: Yeah, and part of this conversation may be difficult for you to hear, but it's still needs to happen and it's still this conversation still needs to take place and so even if it's difficult to hear or maybe you're thinking man i'm not sure i agree with everything just listen
1: but before we get into the interview we have every week a new learner's corner approved resource of the week kayla mason what is this week's resource
0: Our resource this week actually comes from our guest today, Robert Bohr. Robert does a podcast called the CXMH Podcast, and it's all about mental health and understanding it more. And so that is our Learner's Corner Podcast recommended resource of the week.
1: Make sure you get that thing subscribed and leave him a rating and review if you listen to our podcast. Do it.
0: And if you haven't left us a rating and a review, leave us one too. Caleb with his shameless plugs. So without further ado, we're going to jump into our conversation with Robert Boer. Well, Robert, we're so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Thanks for having me. You know, just as we kind of get started, one thing that, um, that we were just wondering about is, you know, what made you want to be, you know, like, a, like champion the cause for mental health and like having healthy conversations around that?
2: Yeah, I think a, a couple of things. I mean, to start with, it was um, a lot of my own experiences, you know, growing up. I uh, struggled with depression for a long time, uh, you know, was had, you know, quite a few instances of suicidality and things like that, uh, would later on be diagnosed with ADHD. And, you know, I think a lot of those experiences, I think a lot of times when people go through things that are very hard or very painful, they develop, you know, kind of a a lot more empathy or sensitivity to other people that are going through those same things, you know, kind of this, like, how can I help other adolescents in college, lost a couple of friends to suicide, which definitely, uh, you know, kind of exacerbated it. And then even my experiences in ministry later on when faith became an important thing to me and I started working in college ministry and volunteering churches and stuff, um, I just saw how often people came there first for help with any of these types of things and how um, in the nicest possible phrasing unprepared a lot of ministries or churches or things were to respond to that Um, and so again it was kind of just hey here's a thing that needs to be addressed that people are are hurting in this way Um, how can we how can we step into that space
1: sure there are tons and tons of definitions um out there there's you know clinical definitions all these things what and, there, and because of that, I think there's a lot of confusion so for our audience can you give us what is your definition um of what uh, of mental illness and like what that what that is
2: yeah i think there's a lot of definitions definitions out there uh for good reason you know this we're always kind of changing these things and adjusting these things i honestly if you hear me talk or or read anything i've written or anything like that you're going to hear me refer a lot more to the concept of mental health instead mm. uh illness kind of being you know one of those terms that just means like the lack of health and what i think is a good sticky point or the the kind of the viewpoint i take on is that we all have mental health, right? We kind of think of mental illness as like this weird other thing that some people have. But we all have mental health. We all have emotional health. How are we handling stress and emotions and and regulating our own reactions to things and whatnot? And so um, the more that we can push people towards learning about mental health, you know, whether you have a diagnosed mental illness based on the, the DSM criteria or not, you could be mentally healthier probably right i mean it's the the difference between you know a physical illness where you would need a doctor to say hey you meet this criteria or hey we could all be a little healthier let's try to promote that side of it so i don't have a great definition for mental illness just because i I try to think more and talk more in terms of mental health instead
1: what would be your definition then if you have one for for mental health
2: um i guess just you know people's ability to. Regulate their emotions uh their you know people's man, that's a good question. nobody's ever asked me that that's I like that um i, I mean I guess they're really to to regulate things the way that they view things, their mindset their um you know their general mood, not i mean having appropriate responses to things, obviously there's times when you should be sad, and that doesn't mean that you're not mentally healthy right but having no appropriate responses to things and being able to cope with situations and things like that.
0: Right. And I guess, you know, do you see, is there like a distinction between someone being, you know, mentally unhealthy or uh, mentally ill and like crazy? Because I think that's what most people think about is, you know, whenever, you know, mental um, illness and mental health, that conversation comes up. A lot of people just think of the term crazy is like, can you just speak right. to that? yeah and i think i think maybe that's part of why i don't try to go
2: that route a lot is because there is kind of these um can uh i don't know these these ideas that spring up when you talk about somebody being mentally ill i mean we're seeing it right now with and i know we're going to get into some of this later but you know when people talk about well mentally ill people shouldn't have access to firearms or whatever you know there's this there's this general idea of if you're mentally ill then you're crazy or psychotic or, you know, things like that, which, I mean, all, a lot of those words just have to do with your, your perception of reality and, and how well you're oriented to time and space. You know, can you talk about the things that are happening around you? Are you aware of those? Um, but I think, you know, when we talk in terms of mental illness, that's where we jump in our minds for most folks, um, which isn't necessarily the case and which is, you know, pretty. Stigmatizing and, and harmful to you know say I've got depression. So if I come to you and say Hey, I have mental illness, you know, there's kind of this sense of like, oh, oh, oh let me like back away from you. You're probably dangerous, you know, which I think is part of a larger discussion to be had about how we talk about things.
1: Well, let's let's have that discussion because the next thing I wanted to ask was, uh, what are some of the stigmas that come with mental health? I um, mean, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but can, can we go a little bit deeper with that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think because these are areas in which we're not used to talking about, uh, you know, we, especially in kind of the Western world and the United States in in particular, just because that's where I live and that's where you guys live, um, you know, there's kind of this, this pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. And if you can't, if you need other people's help, or if you can't get through something, you're, weak or not enough, you know, or if you're super emotional, you know, there's negative connotations that come with that and think, you know, and so, um, I think a lot of that plays into why we're afraid to talk about mental health and why we're afraid to, or, or hesitant to seek some help for mental health. You know, even I do this for a living, this is like what I talk about all the time And when I meet somebody new, it's always a little weird, probably still, to sometimes say like, "Oh yeah, like I've been counseling tons of times. I've been, you know, I've been on medication for depression. You know, like all all these sorts of things. They still come with this kind of hesitancy of, oh, you're going to think less of me. Um, You're going to think I'm weak. You're going to think that I can't handle myself in situations. And so I think a lot of that has to do with it. And there's some you know spiritual things that we'll get into. I think I see on the questions you sent over. I don't know if I'm supposed to pull back the curtain or not. You can edit that out if you need. But, um, you know, I think there's a lot of teaching and ideas, uh, not just spiritually, but kind of culturally that push back against you should need help. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've I've even experienced that to a little bit of degree. You know, I've been in uh, to a counselor and I'm currently seeing one. And there is there is that hesitancy of like, man, do I. Like, should I bring this up or the hesitancy yeah. of like, man, I'm not sure I want to bring this up because, you know, I'm actually going for the right reason. So I can be a, so I can be like my best self and be like a healthy, right. be my healthy person. But there's there is that stigma of like, OK, I might be viewed as less than because, I mean, I'm admitting that something's wrong with me.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's. It, 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 you know, even with physical things, sometimes we hear, oh, you know, just rub some dirt on it or like walk it off or, you know, those types of things, push through the pain, those types of, of things. And added to that is, you know, you can't see these things. So, you know, I'm walking around. If I'm severely depressed, you can't see that. So it's really easy for you to say, you know, like, oh, but you look fine to me or but you have food and a family. You know, what are you sad about or, you know, things like that. Which, you know, then somebody feels worse. They feel guilty. You're right. Why should I be sad? Why should I be anxious? Everything seems like it's going all right, you
1: know? And, but, but there is really, though, and, and I've experienced this in my life. There, truthfully, though, is a difference between just being sad about something and, like, true depression or anxiety. I mean, oh, no, it, it is so different. Um, uh, sadness, I've described it like this. Sadness has an endpoint. Depression and anxiety doesn't yeah 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 so definitely um so and by the way at the recorded the time of the recording of this episode for those for those of you listening um this week the the shooting happened the school shooting happened at, at Florida in at that high school in, at, yeah mm-hmm. and so this is this next question is going to be um an interesting one because it's being debated very heavily this week um so here's the question why do people tend to make the connection between mental health Or mental health issues and violence.
2: You know, I I think there's a lot of reasons. One is that that's everybody's kind of jumping to point. You know, we even see right now a lot of the the headlines and people who, um, you know, whatever your views are on gun safety or gun regulation. You know, most people's jumping point is, well, this person must have been mentally ill because it's it's an easy thing to point to. It's you know, again, you can't we can't definitely say that everybody. Did or didn't you know? I don't know that guy, so like I can't say that. And all the people that are saying that don't know that guy, you know, unless it's a family friend or something like that. Um, And I think it's it falls in this category of things that we don't we don't know about, and so we're scared of, right? Which is a part of the conversation. We don't talk about mental health. We don't talk about mental illness a lot, and so they're scary. Purely based on we don't know a lot about them, and then you get you know most depictions of mental illness in movies or TV shows are the most dramatic versions of them. As you know, people are making dramatic TV shows and dramatic You know, I get it, but if that's all you've ever seen, if that's the only picture that's ever presented to you, that's terrifying. That's scary. That's hard to understand if nobody's talking about it and saying, "Hey, here's the reality."
1: Uh, and and, and kind of going off of that. One of the things that I think about with that discussion, with um, how it's – really what it gets down to is it's an unknown. And and I think in in mental health or mental illness or however a person thinks of it, it is a – it is so broad that anything – that really anything outside of the norm or social norms is kind of put in there. Like it's kind of put under that category. How do we begin to help – and we're going to talk more in depth about this in a little bit – But I'm just curious, how can we begin to help people um, make that not their first reaction to immediately begin to blame that or to, to point the finger at that and continue to further the stereotype or stigma?
2: Yeah, man, that's such a good question. I think a lot of it has to do with learning with education. You know, there's a lot of good resources. There's a lot of good organizations that are trying to educate people, you know, just say, Hey, here's some of the facts. Here's some of, here's some people's stories, you know, one in one in five uh, adults in the United States in any given year is experiencing some kind of mental health crisis or struggle. So if you think about that, if, can you realistically say that one in five of the people that you see throughout your day walking around, one in five of your friends, one in five of your coworkers, that all of those people are spontaneously going to be super violent? I don't think that's a realistic assumption. I would say that most people wouldn't. You know, so I think a lot of it has to do with that, with just educating. I think it is too broad a term I mean, you don't you don't say, oh, this person is physically ill, so they must have done this thing. You know, we we learn about the differences. There's a difference between a broken leg and cancer. There's a difference. You know, we, we understand some of those differences because it's more prevalently talked about at least. And so if we could understand the difference between, oh, this person was on medication for depression and this person you know, has a diagnosis of schizophrenia, or this person has a diagnosis of a psychotic disorder, or any of those things, I think it would would be helpful for us to be more specific and learn some of those differences. And for people on, you know, kind of the other side of things to try and educate people.
0: Yeah, and even just, you know, following up, you know, you mentioned medication, and I think many people you know, they kind of have this idea that if, you know, maybe if one of their friends is taking medication, that it goes back to what we said earlier, that, you know, that they might be considered uh, less than, or even in like the church circles, that there might be something like spiritually wrong with them. And so, you know, if because we, I know that we probably all have people in our lives who maybe think that way, you know, what advice would you give to someone about, uh, like, what would you say to that person who's like, you know what, they may not say it, but they kind of believe that you know maybe the person might be less than because they have to deal with mental health or they might not be spiritually right. What would you say to that person?
2: Yeah, I would. I would. I would first try to be less frustrated. Only because recently I've been more frustrated with that. We've seen a couple prominent pastors and organizations tweet things that are along those lines recently, which yeah. is just mind boggling to me sometimes. But I would say to try and and listen and understand a little more, I I might point out the inconsistencies with the way that we talk about things. There's no chance that you would, you know, realistically say, oh, Susan has cancer. It's because she didn't pray enough or she didn't believe in God enough. I mean, you might, and there's people that would, but I think that is kind of a, a further... A smaller chunk of the population that would say those types of things about mental illness, right? And so, if somebody's saying, "Oh, you're depressed," it's because you're not focused on God enough, or you know, you're too anxious. You just need to trust more and pray more. You know, I, I think some of that has basis in a, a, a fundamental misunderstanding of the terms, and I think part of that is not necessarily people's fault. I think that sometimes I think about the term, like the the clinical terms we use and how we've kind of done ourselves a disservice. The fact that we equate, you know, major depressive disorder with just the word depression is kind of unhelpful because people think, oh, like I know what being depressed feels like just being sad or the fact that we've You know, kind of correlated. uh, You know, generalized anxiety disorder with just the term anxiety. You know, people think, oh, I experience anxiety, and so there's there's a case to be made in some of those situations that, hey, if you are worried about something, maybe you should pray about it. That is a a logical thing. If we're extending that to, hey, you have a diagnosable anxiety disorder, you should just pray about it. I think that is a, a larger leap to be made. I think it's a more dangerous leap to be made. Um, So I would would just say try to understand, try to listen and learn. I mean, I know tremendous people of faith who have struggled with depression. I mean, if you look through time at great theologians, Spurgeon whoever else, they struggled a lot with being depressed and being anxious and things like that. And so to casually suggest that the only treatment for mental health concerns is more prayer or things like that is – is callous at best, I would say.
1: Sure. We have, um, in our area, and I don't know if you've heard of this happening or not, but in our area, uh, in like the Canton, Ohio region, there have actually been six or seven suicides that have happened in in, uh, local high schools um, since since September. We're recording this in February. And there are a lot of things that people are saying or not saying that are, are, are just bad. And so the, the one thing that I would love to, to start off, um, this kind of section is what are some things not to say when we're to, uh, when we're talking about mental health? Um, cause I think a lot of times we're hearing people and you even just mentioned it with, with, um, you know, pastors or prominent people saying things that are just off, just off base. What are some things we, we should not say?
2: Yeah, I think for, in general, my, my first step would be, let's talk about them more. Now that kind of comes with the caveat of let's do so in an intelligent manner, but I don't want people, sometimes I think we scare people away from talking about things. If we say, Hey, you have to be an expert before you, you are willing to have these conversations. And so, um, you know, as far as things that you shouldn't say, I wouldn't I try to avoid, you know, blaming type things or guilt type, shame type things. You know, we see a lot of that, um, you know, hey, you should have more faith or just appreciate the things that are around you. What, you. You can't be depressed. Look at your life around you. I mean, that's as silly as saying you can't be happy because some people have it worse than you or better than you or whatever. You know, like, it's just a weird, you know, we the we try to justify people out of their, emotional pain or their their mental things and that it's not going to work and it makes people feel more guilty so then they're not going to go seek treatment you know if you say what what, you don't have anything to be anxious about you're doing fine well then for that person then to say no i'm going to go get help for this has to overcome the additional barrier of calling you wrong and overcome the guilt of maybe you're right it's my fault for feeling this way and i mean like we're just adding barriers so i think having conversations where we try to listen try to understand and we're not proposing solutions that are not actually solutions i mean we have research we have evidence based things you know we know that counseling works we know that some medications work we we know that some of these things work and so to have people saying you don't need those trust me you just need this thing just pray or just be thankful more or just Whatever it is, that's that makes it harder for people to talk about it and to to get the kind of treatment that they probably need.
1: Flip on the flip side of that, what are what are things that people need to remember, and how do we actually have healthy conversations uh, about this? What do essentially what what should we be talking about? What should we be saying? And and as you said, how I mean, we should be talking about this more. So just talk to us about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think people sharing their own stories more. I mean, there's plenty of research that says when one person, you know, says, hey, I've struggled with this thing, I've dealt with this thing that other people feel you're kind of giving them permission to say, oh, me too. Right. Uh, That's a, a very powerful thing. That's why sharing personal stories in kind of the mental health advocacy field, especially online. Is such a big thing right now? You know, kind of just saying, "Hey, it's okay to talk about these things. You're not the only one going through these things." Isolation, feeling very alone, is another big thing uh, with mental illness in general. But then, you know, as you mentioned, you referenced some some suicides, especially adolescent suicide. You know, feeling like you're the only one going through something. There's no one you can talk to. There's no one that can relate to you is a, a big factor there. And so, you know, just starting by sharing some stories and and Within those stories, if it's people who are in a a healthy enough place probably to share those, there's probably some component of, I talked openly about it, I got some help from friends, I got some counseling, I, I got some medication, you know, there's probably healthy components to that of how they got to the point where they can talk about that openly, you know, not just, well, I toughed it out, and so you should too, you know
1: on the uh, kind of going along in that same vein I know one of the things like I said earlier about the suicides in our area one of the things that people are struggling with right now is how parents should be talking to their to their kids about mm-hmm. mental health and and yeah. in particular suicides and things like that can you speak into that a little bit
2: yeah, absolutely. If only because I think that one of the things that I hear most from parents or people that work with teens or adolescents uh is this idea of well, if we bring it up it's going to put the idea in someone's right. head. Uh and I want to be pretty clear here, there's no research that says that's the case. In fact, there's only research that says if you're worried about somebody in that regard, there's a good chance that they've thought about it at least in passing. And anybody that if you say, "Hey, I want to ask you. I'm kind of worried about you. You seem kind of down. Have you ever thought about killing yourself? They, if they have, feel instantly more relieved because, again, you're kind of creating that space. You're giving permission to talk about it. So there's there's no indication that asking that question is going to put an idea in somebody's head unrealistic to think that, hey, uh, I'm not going to talk to my teenager about that because they've never heard that word before. And therefore, I'm introducing a brand new concept to them, especially in the age of 13 reasons why and, you know, social media and all that. There's no chance that they haven't come across that at all. So I think just asking that question, having those conversations, what you want to communicate is this is a thing that can be talked about here, you know, especially if it's parents. This is a thing that we can talk about in our home. Like you can trust us. We're not gonna immediately freak out and call 911 if you say, Hey, I've I've thought about this a bit. You know, we're gonna have a, a calm conversation, which can be really hard for people that have never heard that expressed before. And I'm not insensitive to that. But you know, I think especially with teens and adolescents, what they're scared of is I'm going to say something to my parents that either they're going to get mad about. You know, I know people who have tried to talk to their parents who said, no, we don't believe in depression. You're not depressed. Or, hey, stop being overly dramatic. You're, that's that's nonsense, you know, or no, you wouldn't. That's not, we, that's not how we talk about things in this family. You know, none of those are helpful responses. What all of those do is reinforce the notion that you're alone in what you're feeling. You can't talk about it here. So I think the flip side of that is, you as a parent or as you know whatever role you play starting that conversation and saying hey i want you to know that there's space here that we can talk about these that you're not you don't have to just try and figure this out on your own you know that we can we're here to help in whatever ways are helpful not in kind of freak out ways
0: and even just going you know further into that and you've kind of talked about this a little bit what signs should people or parents or pastors possibly be looking for to see if someone might be considering suicide?
2: Yeah, there's uh, there's good lists. If you Google search either risk factors or warning signs, those are actually two different things. But for now, we'll look at warning signs since that's what you asked. I mean, uh, warning signs, you know, if anybody's talking about killing themselves, regardless of age, and you might I mean, I I hear this a lot. How do we know if somebody's just joking or, uh, you know, something like that? And this is just me, but I'm going to take it seriously no matter what, you know, I would rather take it seriously and have them say, no, no, it's just a joke. But then also like kind of follow up on that, than to assume that somebody's joking and then have something terrible happen, you know, Um, people are talking about feeling hopeless, uh, having no reason to live, right? And these these can all kind of take other forms, you know. Um, you guys won't have to worry about me anymore, or well, you know, soon it won't be a problem, or or things like that. Feeling somebody feeling like they're a burden on others, um, you know, as far as behaviors, you know, major mood shifts, uh, major changes in interests. So maybe they were really good at school, and all of a sudden they're not, or maybe they were really interested in faith, and suddenly they're not, or vice versa. Uh, you know, researching ways to die, anything like that, stockpiling pills or anything like that, giving away prized possessions. Um, you know, I think these are all things that we can we can kind of, regardless of if it if it's directly correlated to them thinking about suicide, these are all things that we should kind of step in and say, hey, what's going on here anyway? You know, if we're going to try to, again, push people more towards mental health instead of just trying to prevent the worst possible scenario. These are all Anything that you think hmm, that's concerning, maybe step in and ask about it.
0: You know, you mentioned that there be, there's a difference between warning signs and risk factors. Can you talk about that difference? And then can you kind of give us what some of the risk factors might be? Yeah, so uh, warnings,
2: the, some places don't distinguish between these. I do. I think it matters. Warning signs are like, hey, this is a, a sign that that you should be warned you know so um risk factors are more um factors that somebody may may have a higher risk in general but not specific to like that person so i think about it this way um if i'm a if i'm in college you would say i'm probably more at risk to have no money and need somebody to buy me a lunch right that is very different. Like that's in general, a risk factor, but a a warning sign is more, Hey, I walk in and you notice that I look like I'm hungry and I'm really staring at your food and my stomach is rumbling. So there's a difference between somebody being in a population that has a higher risk, like adolescence or, uh, older, uh, the highest suicide rate is in, um, Elderly, the elderly population, especially older males, um, so that this kind of difference between being in a population that may have a higher risk, but that's not specific to that person, or warning signs, which are like behaviors or things that that person is doing that should you know give you some pause. Sure.
1: So uh, with with this conversation, when it comes up, oftentimes, uh, I hear people say, or I'll hear teenage, I'm a youth. I, I work with, with youth and parents and things like that. And I'll hear them say, um, you know, I can see something's going on. I, I'm not quite sure what to do. I don't, I don't want to ruin the relationship. I don't want to break trust if I report something. And then the second part to my, and so that's the first part is, you know, how do we, how do we get around that? Or what do we do with that? Or what would you say to that? And then the, the second part is, Where do we go? Because I think oftentimes people aren't quite sure who they should contact or who they should let know. Is it is it is it enough just to simply let some let a let a grown up know if it's a student? Yeah, Um, absolutely. What do you do?
2: Yeah, so to your first part, what do you do? I would say to ask. And that's a really scary thing if you've never done it before. But, you know, I do suicide prevention trainings. It's one of the things I do. And there's a, a formula for that that is essentially just the step one is ask the person, you know, and that can be a really intimidating thing. But, uh, you know, and I, I understand the kind of argument of I don't want to make them angry or I don't want to freak them out. And to me, it, the thing is, you're communicating, hey, I care enough about you to have noticed some things that are concerning, and to ask you this very uncomfortable question. And that, to me, you know, even if in the moment that person says, what, no, what uh, how dare you? I think later they're going to process through that. The other thing is I would rather have a friend that's mad at me than a friend who is dead, you know? And I don't mean that glibly. I, I mean that realistically. I would rather have somebody thrown off by a question than to have a tragedy happen. So I would say ask directly you know, set aside some time, uh, you know, make sure that you're willing to stick around and listen based on what their answer is. You know, don't do it maybe in a large setting of people, but just ask, say, Hey, you know, I've noticed a couple of things I'm concerned and the phrasing doesn't super matter, but I would ask specifically, Hey, are you, have you thought about killing yourself or have you thought about dying? You know, sometimes we go with, have you thought about hurting yourself, which is a little easier to like, answer in a vague skating around question like kind of way so i would i would ask and be specific the only really bad way to ask is like hey you're not thinking hey you're not going to do something crazy right hey you're not thinking about killing yourself are you right because you're you're saying hey i want you to give me a negative answer so uh, i mean i think just saying hey this is a, a place again where we can talk about these things where there's trust and just asking intentionally and and being okay with whatever answer. Now, the second part of that is not, you know, I mentioned it before, not freaking out and immediately calling 911, and you asked where do we go. I would, before maybe you have that conversation, just do a quick Google search of mental health resources around you. There's a lot of, you know, in most cities, there's mental health counselors or social workers or therapists or, you know, what have you around that maybe there's one that you can ask somebody for a recommendation for or something like that there's also a lot of times behavioral health clinics or things like that that you could go to you know i i really i wouldn't call 911 unless there's like an immediate hey I, yes i am and right now is when it's going to happen you know um 911 sometimes can kind of escalate things all of a sudden there's sirens and it's a big scene and that's probably not what somebody who is in emotional pain wants you know i don't think that's really what any of us want is you know a giant scene so i I would know where to go to refer them and along with that probably comes you trying to help remove any barriers so i mean the the first time that i ever went to counseling just you know in college uh i had said some concerning things and a friend of mine you know said hey i think you should consider going to counseling and i said i'm not sure and she said what if i drive you and then I sit in the waiting room. I said, OK, so she I like, you know, we called together. She was in there and we called together on the phone and then she drove or maybe I drove, but she came with me or whatever it was. And then she sat in the waiting room, you know, removing the, the barriers of, well, now I have to go or now I have to, you know, how can you help get that person to the help or the resources that they need? And in a lot of places, there's, you know, we've got the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Uh, I don't have a number with me right now, but we can maybe splice that in or put it in the show notes. Yep, we'll uh, a lot of, notes. yeah, a lot of places have, I know here in Georgia, there's uh, GCAL, which is the Georgia Crisis and Access Line, which has, you know, more specific resources. So, I mean, have some of that information. Just, again, just do a quick Google search and jot down some of that, because a lot of those uh, hotlines, things like that, you as a friend can also call and say, "Hey, here's what I'm encountering. Here's what I'm worried about. How, how do I best proceed?" And they maybe can walk you through it, you know, or you can say, "Hey, with your friend, hey, why don't we call this hotline together? Like, I'm here with you. I'll stay here with you, you know." So I think it's just a matter of getting past some of our uncomfortability with even saying the word suicide and stepping into that, saying, "Hey, I'm I'm not only willing to ask this question, but I'm willing to." Continue with this. Continue with you in this. How do I help you beyond just right here,
0: Robert? As we were kind of preparing for this interview, we saw that a couple months ago you wrote an article titled uh, "People Need to Stop Using Mental Illness as a Scapegoat for Violence," and we'll link to the article in the show notes um, if people want to read that further. But why why is that so? Why do people need to stop using mental illness or mental health as a scapegoat for violence?
2: Yeah, and again, unfortunately, that article was immediately relevant again, and I'm sure will be unless some drastic things happen. But it goes back to what we were talking about of people kind of assuming that mental illness equals violence, and therefore anybody who says, Oh, I'm considering going to counseling or anything like that, you know, they get this kind of terrified reaction from any of their family members. You know, I have friends that have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder that. People then you know said, "Oh, I don't know that you should hang out with my kids anymore. Well, that's not a realistic I mean that's you wouldn't do that with pretty much anything else unless you like had the flu, but people have this this image of mental illness equals violence, which is super stigmatizing, and then you know along that cycle that we've talked about, then people are less likely to go get any kind of help, are less likely to talk to their friends and family about it, less likely to do any of those things which makes it worse. You know, we're kind of stuck in this weird cycle of if you do get help, then people treat you weird for it. So then you're less likely to get help, which makes you more unhealthy. You know, it's this weird cycle. And I think a lot of times, and this, you know, know, this isn't a politics show or anything like that, and I'm not taking a partisan stance, but a lot of times it does seem like that's kind of the cop-out to having any real conversations. You know, if we can write off all violent acts as well this person just must have been mentally ill then we don't have to do anything about that that's their fault that we had no control over so it's not on us anymore you know which is an unacceptable position to take most of the time
0: you know where can where can people go to learn more about mental health what what are some resources i know that um your podcast is definitely a huge resource for people and we'll link to that in the show notes um, but what would be, you know, a couple other things that people can go to, maybe some books or stuff like that?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you're already online, listening to this. There's definitely a bunch of great websites. There's uh, NIMH, which is the, the National Institute for Mental Health. Uh, there's, you know, AFSP, which is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Uh, just in terms of saving myself some air, if you go to my website, rubberdashboard.com there's a resources page that has a bunch of websites on there, uh, just so I don't have to memorize them all, but there's a bunch of websites on there and some of them have little descriptions of what they, what they include. So there's websites that have, you know, uh, some basic warning signs for different things, or, you know, um, there's a lot of good resources there. You mentioned, uh, the, the podcast, you know, CXMH, uh, feel free to search that in your podcast app or go to cxmhpodcast.com. But, you know, there's a, a lot of people doing great work right now, especially kind of with the rise of social media and, you know, easy blogging and easy websites and all that. There's a lot of people doing really good work right now around mental health. Um, and I think, you know, if if you're not seeing any of it, it it's it's not because it's not available, you know?
1: Sure. One of the things that I know Caleb and I are kind of passionate about is just working in churches um, is how the church kind of addresses some of these things. And at times uh, the church is often the most silent or, uh, as we've seen recently, um, actually condemning condemning and wrong Um, when it talks, when it comes to this topic in particular. Why does the church need to talk more about mental health and then? How should the church talk about mental health in relation to um, spirituality?
2: Yeah, and I I do want to be clear. There's a lot of loud voices that seem to be saying weird things or condemning things or guilting things or shaming things. Uh, Most of the people, I would say 90% of the people that I interact with on a daily basis or on a normal basis who work in churches, their response is, man, we would love to do more. We just don't know where to start. So I, I think by and large, we're in like a prime position to be better at this, you know. So I, I try sometimes not to focus too much on, man, we're really bad at this, unless, you know, a prominent pastor tweets something terrible about depression uh-huh. uh, or, you know, but I think we're in a good spot to move forward on this. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons we should, uh, based on practicality or theological or whatever, you know. Um, Practically, I think that there's there's a lot of there's some research that says that where people go in a crisis is faith leaders. And that research holds up whether those are people who go to church on a regular basis or go to any kind of faith thing on a regular basis or not. So the place that people are turning most in a crisis, especially an emotional or mental crisis, is faith leaders, because we build ourselves as we have answers to things, you know? um and so i think from a practical standpoint we we need to be good at it even if it's just pointing people in the right direction we have to if that's where people are turning first just practically theologically i think if if we are advertising which i think we are that the church is a place for hurting people for people who are carrying burdens for people who are weary right if we are advertising hey come here we have answers we have hope we have healing then we need to provide those things Uh, and i think we do in a lot of ways i think obviously spiritually you know there's hope and healing from jesus i'm not like i'm not discounting that Mm -hmm. but i think we've done a weird thing where we're only willing to accept healing in certain ways so like if if somebody gets a surgery and it goes really well we'll see facebook posts of you know oh thank god for healing jim bob through this surgery like the you know the surgeons and whatever so we're willing to accept god works through surgeons and god works through flu medication and god you know we're willing to accept those but for some reason a lot of us aren't there with counselors or with psychiatrists or with those types of medications or or what have you and i i don't know I think logically that's inconsistent, but also I think if if we're willing to accept that God works through people, including surgeons, including uh, you know people who give us money for our brand new church building, if we're willing to, to accept that God moves through people, then I think we have to be willing to accept that he works through counselors, that he works through psychiatrists, that he works through those types of medications as well. Um, and so I think if we're building ourselves as a place that points to hope and healing and all these things, then I, I think this is a huge chunk of that.
0: Well, Robert, thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast. If people want to continue to learn from you, you know, what's the best way for them to do that?
2: Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. I really enjoyed it. Uh, you can find me on social media. It's just at Robert Vor uh, across most of the social medias. Uh, or you can go to robert-vor.com. There's a bunch of you know links there for content and connecting and stuff. Uh, there's links to the show there as well. But you can find that at CXMH podcast on most social medias or CXMH com. Uh, I think that's the probably the best ways to go about that. Those all link to each other too. So if you find one, you'll find all the rest.
0: Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Todd. That was a pretty heavy conversation, but a good conversation, a much-needed conversation. Yeah, yeah. That needs to keep happening. Totally agree. So, what was one thing that you learned from our conversation with Robert?
1: Well, I think it's on on a personal note. Uh, for me, I know that uh, over the over the last summer, so summer two thousand seventeen, I actually. I uh, Had to begin to take antidepressants and all sorts of other things like that, just because I was dealing with with anxiety and depression. And it was the first time that I was kind of confronted with um,
0: the stereotypes. The, the, and the stereotypes. stereotypes,
1: yeah. And so I was all of a sudden going, "Wow, um, I don't know," you know who, you, you know, you kind of keep it to yourself. And so as I was, I guess I was listening to him talk. Uh, I realized um, just how dumb those stereotypes are. Like those are really dumb, and and also how um, you know people who kind of fit into that where they they are taking you know maybe antidepressants or they are taking you know anti anxiety medicine or if there's if, if if you know something else is going on for them um, how it's important to to be able to feel comfortable enough to, to, to talk about it and to be able to like not feel like you have to hide it. Here's the other thing. And this is the other big takeaway that I took was um, parents. I always want to err on the side of asking rather on the side of assuming. I always want to err on the side of asking rather than the side of assuming. And so as a youth pastor, as a person who works with parents as well, just in terms of in ministry, I want to make sure that I'm empowering the parents around me to always ask rather than assume. And then on top of that, when you do have that conversation, have it in such a way that um, we're not accusing, right? We're not accusing. We're not freaking out, uh, like Robert said, calling nine one one, right? And, and making a person who is suffering emotionally um, at the moment to to even feel even worse. And so we want to make sure that we're going through proper channels, that we're doing the right thing. So I want to make sure that I am um, asking rather than assuming.
0: That's that's just a great, I think, just life principle, just in general sure now if you're like man i wish i could learn more about this you could check out our learner's corner recommended resource of the week with robert's podcast you know he mentioned a bunch of website his own personal website you know you could check those out those will all be in the show notes and if you if you're if you just need help or if you know someone who is maybe struggling with you know unhealthy thoughts or anything along those lines you know check out the links in the show notes for, you know, maybe the suicide prevention hotline and other, um,
1: there are all sorts of things yeah, in there that you, all can, sorts of things that you can check out
0: yeah. in there. Yep. So thanks so much for listening to this podcast today. We always appreciate all of you who listen to this podcast and give us feedback. Let us know what you learned from this episode as well. And then uh, make sure that you don't miss our episode next week. The best way to make sure you don't miss our next episode is by subscribing to our podcast. I'm whatever podcast player, you use and also if you've appreciated this podcast if you're thankful for this podcast leave us a rating and write a review of the podcast on apple Podcasts. we would appreciate it a ton
1: do it like now
0: thanks so much for listening to this episode of the learner's corner podcast my name is caleb mason my name is todd ixenbaugh and until next time keep learning and keep growing
1: deuces y'all